You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. I am excited, really, really excited about this season in our church and what we're about to discover and learn together uh, as we walk through this book. We began our community groups last week, and for those who were able to go, you heard a little bit about what we're going to be doing with these groups. We're going to explore and unpack and apply what we do here on Sunday mornings. We're going to do it together in community. We're going to explore these things together, and I love that we're beginning with the book of Philippians. We're going to see, in this book, we're going to see a man, really man, Paul, it says Paul and Timothy were sending this letter, but we believe that Paul is the author of it. We're going to see a man that's united in the gospel to the mission of the gospel, and we're going to see the celebration of that and the fruits of it lived out and explained to people that are very close to him. Today, we're going to begin looking at that. Also, we're going to look throughout this chapter, you're going to see a formula. For those of you who like a plan, if I do this, then this, then this will happen. We see throughout this letter several or especially some key formulas for true, abundant, Christ-exalting life. We see that in these few short chapters together. We're going to see an evidence and the model of what real, authentic Christianity looks like. And we're going to be reading and studying this book. And I pray, or I really believe that what we experience together as a church family in this book together could change your life. I really feel that it should inspire you. And I pray that it encourages. And for those who, who are outside of Christ right now, you, you wouldn't say that you have a relationship with Jesus. I pray that what we discover together in this letter and what you get to talk out in the community groups or even just what you encounter here, just to be blunt, I, I pray that it rescues you and saves you and points you and puts you in a relationship with the one who is better than everything else. The book of Philippians Philippians originated as a letter from Paul and Timothy while they were in a prison. They were in a jail and they were responding to the Philippians. The Philippian people, we're going to learn about them in a minute, so you may want to turn to Acts 16 because we're going to be going back and forth to just kind of keep your finger in Acts 16 or if you're like me, the bubblegum wrapper that's in your pocket, you can pull it out and mark Acts 16 right there because we're going to be going to Acts 16 and back several times. But in Acts 16, you see a group of people in Philippi that began together as a church. And they heard Paul was in prison, and so they send a man named Epaphroditus to him. They send Epaphroditus to him and Timothy with support, some resources, some food, and some encouraging letters of encouraging word. Here's what's going on in Philippi. And so this is Paul and Timothy's response. It's a big thank you letter with encouragement. It's a big thank you letter with some instructions. And it will bless the people's heart to receive it. 
we already see in these first eight verses that we're going to look at today a tone. It's a unique tone. Paul did not write the Corinthians with this same tone. He writes to them a tone, from a tone, with a tone of deep gratitude, humility, honor, a display of the theme word for this study of a united stand as they come together. So what we're going to look at this morning is what it is that united them together, Paul and Timothy, with the people in Philippi. And hopefully ask the question as we're going along, do I have that? Do I have that unite, what's uniting Paul with them? Do I have that with God? Do I have that with my church people? And we'll be leaving, hopefully answering those questions together. Are we this way together? Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we've declared, we need you. As we've declared, you are the answer. As we've declared joyfully, there are many in this room, Lord, that are saved and that love being saved. I pray, God, that you would encourage us, inspire us, and I pray for those who are not yet saved that they would come to know you as Redeemer and Lord. In Christ alone we pray. Amen. So the first thing we see right from the beginning, what it is they are united to. We see Paul starts off, the first point today is that they are united to Christ. Look with me here. Paul and Timothy use a word that describe this link, and they say Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. The translation that we have here on the screen, the translation that might be in your Bibles, is the word servant, or even closer is bondservant, but the real word, the Greek word, is doulos. And I don't know why in our English translations we dumb it down I think the word of slave has such negative connotations, rightfully so, that we don't even want to use it here. But Paul, doulos, is calling himself not just a servant, because servant in our day sounds kind of, oh, wow, what a servant. No, slave, united to, chained to Christ, the There are several translations that that honor that, that keep slave in it, and I want to talk about why slave versus servant is important here. Paul uses the title doulos in his letter to Rome. He says, Paul, a slave to God, and he uses it here. And he does it, and it's an interesting label. He kind of presents it as, as, um, as honor, like he's proud of this label. Oh, and the backstory that goes with this is so important. Why this word? Why does he start to the Philippians using the word, I am not just a servant, I am a slave to Christ. To know the backstory and to feel the depth of this introduction and why he's uniting to Christ as a slave, we go back to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, verse 16, we're going to go back and forth through this chapter. We see part of the story here is Paul 
on his way, doing what he feels God calling him to do, and he has this encounter. Paul and Silas and Luke, they're together, and others. And here's the way it reads. Verse 16 of chapter 16. Once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. You getting this? This girl was enslaved to men. Men were using her to make money because she had this unusual ability to predict the future. She was a slave. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High. The real word is doulos. She calls them a slave. This slave girl is going around in a mocking way, in a sort of an exposing way, saying they too are slaves. They're slaves proclaiming Jesus. Verse 18 says she did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Paul did not like this label of slave. He did not like this girl coming and causing havoc for several days. He was annoyed by this. Turning to the Spirit, it's important, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her right away. She was possessed. This wasn't an ability that she was born with. She was possessed. So in a sense, this girl was enslaved to the, de- to the demons and enslaved to man. She knows what it means to be called a slave. And immediately it came right out. Verse 19, I'm going to go on just to tell you what happened. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And we'll pause there. Paul begins his introduction, going back to Philippians, using this identification that was given to him by a slave girl. He once heard it and it annoyed him. You're a slave of Jesus. And you can just kind of hear this going on over and over again. Slave of Jesus, slave of Jesus, telling the story of salvation, slave of Jesus. And it doesn't say anywhere in that context in Acts 16 that Paul was like, yeah, I like that. Keep it up. Let's go. No, it says he was annoyed. Ten years later, he writes a letter back to the Philippian people. That's where this was. This was in Philippi when that girl was saying that. They were in this context. He writes a letter back to them. And you can kind of hear, you can kind of feel Paul as he says, here's how I'm going to start my letter to them. Paul, a slave of Jesus. You you know as Paul's sending this letter, he knows who's in that group hearing the letter. The way this worked was, he sent back to with Epaphroditus. They would gather around. The elders would grab this letter from Paul, and the elders would read it. And in that room, in most likely, there is a girl who once was possessed by a demon, who was once enslaved by men, hearing this letter. And as it begins, Paul proclaiming, still a slave. 
I love the switch here. There's a labeling here that Paul welcomes in his tone saying, I love that now I can say boldly, that little girl who annoyed me was right. Imagine the feeling of the little girl reading this letter. Ten years later, what can go on ten years after this great awakening in your heart? You feel rescued, you're saved by the power of Christ. There's a lot that can, doubts, a lot of persecution, a lot of confusion, and then you get this letter, and the first thing Paul does is reference you. How encouraging it must have been for her to hear Paul say and identify himself as a slave to Jesus. This happens to us, doesn't it? There are times in our life, I was trying to think of heroes um, who had been called things that was annoying, that was like intended to be a put down or a mocking way. I think of people like William Tyndale or John Huss and and you just think of those people that they were called names and they were meaning to put them down and as they were going into eternity, they're remembering those statements and declaring them as, yes, I'm proud to hold that name. But I don't really have to go far into the history books. I just have to go back into the ninth grade for me. I remember in eighth and ninth grade, those were the toughest years in a way of, of me standing my ground, fighting peer pressure, and, and I didn't like the label that was being attached to me. Holy roller. Uh, they mocked me for being this sort of Bible kid, this church kid, and I was, I was just getting tired of it, and they were insulting me, insulting me, and there was a lot more names that they called me and they, most of them liked me. Most of the people liked me. They weren't mad at me. They just were like, oh, Jason's this. And I remember graduating um, and still in our cap and gowns. Hadn't even made it to the cars yet to go to the after-graduation party. And one of the guys that sat at the table that mocked me for being that way with tears in his eyes said, Jason, more than anything, I want to be like you. I want to be a guy who loves God like that. Or I want to be a guy that God loves like that. And I just looked at him and said, Scott, you can be. You can. I felt the label and I felt good about it. Paul has the label of slave. Given to him by a girl who's mocking him. Really, by demons who are mocking him. And he says it back to her. What a special moment. United to Christ, slave to Christ, chained to Christ. Yes, girl, you were right 10 years ago, and even today, as I'm in jail, I am united to Christ forever. It's a label he wears. It brings Paul great freedom to be considered a slave to Christ, united to him. So I ask you this morning, if people were to mock you, Make fun of you about what you're united to, what you're joined to, what you're passionate about. What would it be? Would it be as a slave to Christ or would it be as a slave to work or would it be as a a slave to the perfect family or would it be a slave to the perfect church or the perfect Christian life or what would people say about you? Paul gladly reminds the Philippians, hey, just as the little girl said, I'm glad to say I am still a slave to Christ. Later in the book, we're going to explain 
how this is good and fruitful for the people. But we see from the very beginning, Paul and Timothy united to Christ, slave and chained to Christ. And he's united to Christ with them. He's united to Christ with them as partners. I love this. Daniel and I were contemplating, like, what's the word theme for the book? If you look, and you can go online and hear a bunch of churches preach through Philippians, and they have a theme for it or the, a name for it, and, and, and none of it just seemed right for me because it just didn't grab me. I mean, it could be the humility of Christ. It could be joy in the Lord. It could be passion for Jesus. There's a lot of things we could have called this. We landed on the word united. Because, like I said, from the first, it's a united to Christ. But all throughout this chapter, you see Paul use some similar words that refer to what we call partnership. In verse 5, look with me in verse 5, we see, um, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and then we see a similar Part in verse 7, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace. What is this word? A word that we use as fellowship is the word koinonia. In verse 5, it is a Greek word koinonia, which means partnership, fellowship. It could read, your translation may say, fellowship in the gospel. In verse 5, it's the feminine noun version of the word koinonia, which means to participate with. It's been like it's been something given to you. I've been identified as. They've declared me, given to me this identity of partner. Koinonia. And we see in verse 7, it's a different tone. It's it's, it's a different form of, it's not koinonia, but the root word is there. It's soon koinonas. It's partnership with action. It's the male noun version of this. It's an aggressive identity that you take on. And throughout this book, Paul and Timothy are constantly feeling and referring back to these people as, you're our partners, you're our partners because it's been declared to you, and you're our partners because of what you're doing. We are a fellowship. We are united as partners. We're united to Christ as slaves, and we're united as partners. How does this work? United as partners, first of all, in prayer. Look with me in verse 3 and actually 3 through 3 and 4. Paul says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer are you hearing that connection he has with these people Paul seems to be captivated by the thought of this group of people if you left this church and you moved away across the world or even to another state, when you think back on the people sitting next to you in the row, would the word captivated ring your bell? That's what we're going for. Paul was united with them in 
prayer. Paul was amazed that these people were still his partners. Paul was amazed that they wanted to remain partners with a slave to Christ. Paul received from them the benefits of this partnership. He was overtaken by them so much that he writes, every time I think of you, I'm so thankful to God for you. I'm in awe that God would be so kind to me to give me people like you. He prayed for them with an unusual passion. This unusual joy, this unusual connection is fueled by something. Paul considers them partners in prayer because he considers them partners in the gospel. Look with me. And we can see the beginnings of all this. Let's go back to Acts 16. This is where it all began. Acts 16, verse 11. We just read earlier from 16 down about the girl um, that was freed. But before that even happened, we see in verse 11 through 15 these words. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day to Neapolis, and from there to where? Philippi. It's a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in the city for several days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. They kind of want to get out of the city. They want to go out together and kind of pray about what all God's going to do. Their plan is to sort of, let's retreat We've been here for several days. Let's retreat out here by the river. Just get with us, Silas, Luke. You know, let's just kind of pray together. What is God going to do? And their plans were to do that. Then come back into the city. But it says, we sat down and spoke to the women that were gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord Open her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Paul, when writing to them from Philippians, he's remembering this moment with Lydia. He's remembering the moment with the girl that was a slave that was rescued. And he's saying, y'all were rescued by the good news of Christ. They're partners in prayer because they're partners in the gospel. See, Paul had in his mind not necessarily to plant a church. And this is important. His His perspective was right. He had a mind to plant the gospel. And the church would just come. He wanted to plant the gospel. He wanted to give to people the news that would free them. The news that would free the girl. The news that would come to Lydia and impact her whole household. The gospel is what he partnered with, with these people. He wasn't united in a church planting mission with them he was united in the gospel in their hearts and because of this Paul calls them in Philippians he calls them all saints he remembers the moment with Lydia 
He remembers what's happened. He's heard the story of a, from Epaphroditus that came to give him a report of all that's going on. And he calls back to them and says, you're my partners. I love to pray for you because your partnership in this news that Jesus came to save. United to Christ, united to Christ with them as partners. How is this possible? This is unique. This is unusual. Well, I want, to, I want us to remember what Paul says here in verse 7. They were united to Christ as partners by grace. The grace of God. Look with me in verse 7. You see it? It's right for me to feel this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and establishment of the gospel. Paul's beginning this letter by celebrating his identity, by celebrating his partnership with them, and by saying it's all possible because of the grace of God. If we go back to Acts 16 just one more time, grace is flowing all through this story. You heard about Lydia, who was just going out there to sell some cloth. She overhears, her feet are in the right place, her ears are in the right place, and it was God that opened her heart. She did not have a plan that day to go and hear some story about Jesus that would affect her whole family. But God had a plan. God had grace on her life. We have the story of the slave girl. And all her owners and everybody, she did not have a plan that day to wake up and mock a guy by saying he's a slave to Christ and that unpacked her and free her and knocked the chains off her life. But God's grace did that for her. And then we have another story. Look with me in verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, the girl had been freed, which meant the demon was out, which means... Her ability to predict the future was gone. Her owners aren't happy. They're mad. You just took money out of my pocket by freeing this slave girl. When her owners realized that their hope of the prophet was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, bringing them before the chief magistrates. They said, these men are seriously disturbing our city, they're Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. And the crowd joined in, because that's what crowds do. The crowds joined in to the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And after they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. Not what they planned for the day. Remember, they went out to the river for a prayer, some quiet time, okay? Before they came back and said, here's what we're going to do in the city, Lydia, the grace goes to Lydia and her family. She's saved. As they're coming back in, they, this girl is mocking them for several days. They're annoyed. She's saved by the grace of God. And the result of that, was not on Paul's and Silas's to-do list. 
The result was jail, prison time, beatings. Goes on, 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I don't know what you do at midnight. I don't know what you do or I do at midnight when we've had a bad day. Usually when we have bad days, we sometimes excuse ourselves to sin and sorrow and disrespect. But by God's grace, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. <laughs> Love it. They didn't plan that. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken. They didn't plan that. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. That is not part of Paul's ability to do. He didn't plan that out. When the jailer woke up, he saw the doors of the prison standing open. He drew his sword, was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. Translation, it was going to be better for him to take his own life than to face his boss and the Roman guards and the magistrates because he let prisoners go. Verse 28, but Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. The jailer called for the lights. He rushed in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, the gospel, along with everyone in the house. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds right away. He and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before him and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household, not his plan. They were united to Christ as partners in grace, by grace. This has grace all over it. No church plant plan, no church growth plan model is planned out this way. None of it. But God acts when the gospel goes from our mouth and he does stuff that we couldn't believe and his grace is all in it. Philippi was a place where retired soldiers lived when they were done with battle. There was no news or opportunity for the gospel to come. There were a few Jews that were living there, but the opportunity, the seed of the gospel wasn't planted there. It just was vague. There, there's no way for them to hear it, even know, have any connection with the true God. And then Paul and Silas and his group came. Lydia saved. The slave girl was rescued. And now a jailer and his family were all saved. This is the grace of God. And as Paul is writing back to the people, he knows who's in that house listening to this letter. I'm writing to you, Lydia, and your family that are there. I remember the day you were saved. I didn't plan it. It was God's grace. You're my partner in that grace moment. 
I'm writing to you, girl, oh, how old are you now? You're probably 16 now. Maybe you're 18, and I remember the day that you were rescued and you were saved. You were mocking me, but I like that term. I'm a slave for Christ. I'm saying it back to you. You're a slave for Christ now. I remember that. You're my partner in grace. Oh, jailer, you're in a room with your family, with people you would never associate with before. You were going to kill yourself. But I'm writing to you because you're my partner in grace. Grace, grace, grace. Paul, united from the beginning with these people by God's grace. We are united. We are united to Christ. We are united to Christ as partners in prayer and the gospel. We are united to Christ as partners only by God's grace. I didn't even get to the verse that we all know in Philippians 1, verse 6. I'm going to tease you. We are hearing this week Paul being united to God, being united with partners by grace from the beginning. But look with me in verse 6, just a little teaser for what's to come next week. He says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, from the beginning, we are united. And, dear friends, we are united forever. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you have done. There's nothing you can do. Little girl of 10 years old who, or for the last 10 years, you may have been doubting, but guess what? He started that work in you as a slave girl. He's going to continue it on. That's next week. For now, Paul joyfully says, we have been united from the beginning by God's grace. I'm excited to go through this letter of Philippians with you. I'm excited to explore it together in our community groups. It brings me a lot of joy to think about the conversation that are going to be happening in the homes throughout our community about this week's message. We want to begin this study together as partners. I want to ask you a few things to consider. Are you, are you in a group? Because this letter was written to a group. This letter was written to a community group for them to talk about, for them to identify with, for them to relate, say, oh, yes, I'm his partner. Yes, this is when that happened. And, and Paul is writing this in such a way as to stir in them. Talk about the day, Lydia, that you were saved. Talk about slave girl, the day that you were delivered. Y'all talk about it. Y'all remember that. Don't get over it ever. Get in your group. Talk about it. I would love for you, for your joy, to consider a community group to belong to so that you can experience the joy of just hearing somebody else's story. Good. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. No amount of snaps can equal hearing the story 
of somebody telling you when they came to the Lord. It's a group you don't want to miss out on. Let me ask you, has there ever begun a beginning with you? We're celebrating, talking about today, united from the beginning. When was your beginning? When was the day that you heard, like Lydia, your feet were in the right place, your ears were in the right place, but there was a, there was a moment when your heart was opened. There was a moment where you said, I want to be saved. I want me and my, I want this news for me and my family. When was that? Do you think about it? Do you know that every time we gather together, you're supposed to think about that moment? And you're never supposed to get over it? It's always supposed to be reminding you, this is what I'm rescued from. This is what he did. In a minute, we're going to have the chance to sing about it again. And in a minute, I want you to stand to your feet and I want you to say in the song that we've already sang that there's a redeemer. I remember where it began. I want you to think about the moment it came and how it came and who it came through. Do you ever talk to the person who brought the news to you? If they're alive still, why not reach out to them this week and just say, again, I sang, there is a redeemer because you gave me the news. That's the partnership we see in this letter. That's the color of everything we're going to see. This united to him together. Lastly, if you're here and you've not experienced that beginning, there's not been a time like Lydia, like the slave girl, like the jailer, where you said, I want Jesus. I need Jesus. I want to be saved. I would love, we would love, this church would love to introduce you to him. He's better. He's worth it. We'd love to share with you some really good news that will not only change your life, it will change your eternity forever. And if you're interested in that, when we break up in a minute, just come talk to me about that. I'd love to talk with you about that. Or grab somebody next to you and say, do you have a beginning? I would like to talk to you about how I can have a beginning. I would like to be united to this story. Talk to me. If you get out of here without talking to me, that's fine. Get out of here without talking to somebody. I, I pray that you don't. But then go to a group and start talking to the people in your group about how to begin a life with Jesus. Let's pray. Convince us, Lord, that there's never been and there never will be a story or information or news better than God, you sent your son to save us. And I pray for those with me that I partner with in the gospel by grace that we would in just a moment stand and sing with great joy. There is a redeemer and I pray that it never gets old to us. And for those who need a redeemer, I pray that today's the day that they talk and they come and they listen and they be saved. We love you. We thank you. 
for the news and the invitation that we can partner and be united with you, with others, by grace.